Welcome to the Living Clean Podcast. I'm your co-host Mason S. With me as always is Travis K. This podcast is not meant to replace meeting, sponsorship, step work, or service. This is meant to be just another tool in your recovery toolbox. Our guests are here to share their experience, strength, and hope with recovery through Narcotics Anonymous. Thank you for joining us. All right. Welcome back to the Living Clean Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mason S. With me, as always, is TK. Yeah, yeah. Uh, This is episode number three, you know, so we've, like I was telling you before, we've made it to five countries, little almost 20 states. Tonight, we have Mr. JP. Um, He's come in to share his experience, strength, and hope with N.A., JP, how you doing, man? Man, I'm good, man. I appreciate y'all brothers having me on this platform that I got here, man. It's a blessing to be here. But I'm good, man. Thank you. All right, man. We're glad you're here. Won't you share your uh, clean date and where your home group's at? All right. My name's JP, and I am a grateful recovering addict. Uh, my clean date is November the 3rd, 2009. My home group is Hope Group in Madison, Tennessee, 102 Harris Street, if you get down here. Madison, Tennessee, 37115. Awesome, man. So why don't you tell us uh, what life kind of looked like before you found Narcotics Anonymous? Before I found this program, my life was a, uh, it was a, I guess you could say like a street life. You know, we all come from street backgrounds where we use, where we use, but like uh, I had a street mentality though. Like I'm a hood person. I'm from the hood. I have a, had a hood mentality. You know, flash of cars, drug dealing, drug using, all those things that came with the lifestyle of addiction. That was what made up my identity. So I thought, by the grace of God, you know, I kept going to jail. Jail's how God got my attention. This is the background that anybody pretty much have would have come along with using. You know what I'm saying? Getting locked up, had the police running your mama house. Getting your mama cop impounded, all the little stupid stuff to come along with that. You just... Big time drug dealer and stuff like that. And the image had to get tarnished. And over time it did because I kept going to jail. So uh, that's pretty much my using background. <clears throat> All right. So tell us where you were first introduced to NA. Well, I was first introduced to NA at this jail. They got this facility downtown called Blackwood. 2010, I was fighting a case. And, uh, you know, when you go to jail, you try to do everything to, to lessen your consequences. So, you know, somebody suggested to me that I go to Narcotics Anonymous. It was my first time ever being introduced to NA. And I went down there, and it was an H&I meeting in there, and there was a predecessor in there. Uh, he's he's a kind of prominent predecessor. He, he's real big in the service department. This predecessor had brought the meeting in one night, at the first night I went, and when he had opened his mouth, man, everything just kind of made sense. And I kind of had a strong identification with his experience using, but his experience with the recovery aspect more so. It wasn't just the user part. The user part was just to identify that he'd been out there. But where I was at was that I was tired of being who I was, so I related more on the identification purposes of the recovery process because I wanted to change. And by the grace of God, when I left that meeting, some inside of me shifted. And so, you know, the story goes from there. 
So I'm assuming that you said you grew up kind of with the the hood background or whatever. Is that something that you were influenced as as a young child? Hell yeah. Like my dad, I had a great dad though, but when I say I have a great dad, I didn't want what he had to offer and all that college collegiate shit. I didn't want to do all that shit. I was more enthralled with the flashy lifestyle. Uh, the hood heroes, you know what I'm saying? The big rounds, people around there, you know, getting fast money. Um, you know, just all those natural peer pressures that you have coming from, you know, a, a place of poverty like where I grew up at. And so, like, those things were exciting to me to have uh, people that were older than me, you know, flash money, give you a hundred dollars here, a hundred dollars there for making a run, doing some small form, running for that shit, you know, it influenced me. So, uh, when we got when we got there, I've been so stuck in that mindset, my hope was hopeless. That's mm-hmm. all I knew. You see what I'm saying? And so you don't just get the glitter without the suffering of it. You know what I'm saying? And the suffering was something they didn't teach us about the jails, the uh the oppression, how we oppress each other and the robberies and the, the fears that come along with it, and then you just kinda of become natural. So yes, uh when this brother came in when I was locked up and he was talking about the fruit of the of the program and the recovery aspect, it was enlightening because my life had got super damn. I didn't think it was possible. My background pushed me into recovery and I'm grateful for it. So him bringing that message into you was your first real shot of hope and you were able to identify and relate to some of the feelings and things that he was talking about. Is that the first time you remember being able to identify with something positive in your life or for a long time? Or Yeah, it's the first time that my spirit had been opened up to it in a long time. See, I had okay. the, I always had the opportunities. That wasn't the first time I got locked up. I got locked up and, and went to a faith-based program, but my spirit wasn't ready for to receive it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's what makes the process of recovery so beautiful is that because so many people have the opportunity, though, but everybody's not chosen. You see what I'm saying? And, and yes, we're a worldwide fellowship. But to me, from my perspective, everybody needs some aspect of the program and they're not receiving it. You see what I'm saying? And I was chosen. You see what I'm saying? It, it's almost like survival remorse if you don't look at the beauty of it. You have so many people that fall off around you, that die, and you question, God, why did you pick me? You see what I'm saying? But in a, from my per- perspective, I was grateful for it because he picked me. I knew I was going to be chosen because I had faith on my life. I just wasn't ready to live in it. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And the very fact that every every influence, every person that I got around God I always removed them up out of my life so he could isolate me or alienate me in the right way so he can, you know, impart what needs to be part of me, imparted in me in those times. Eventually, he got me to a place where I surrendered. You see what I'm saying? And I'm grateful for that, you know what I'm saying? Because yes, my hope was them, but I always had a desire to, you know how some inside of you saying that you're living beneath your purpose. Yeah. I always felt it inside of me, but I thought I knew the method and how to give, bring it outside of me, but my method was actually detrimental and destroying me. You see what I'm saying? And so I had a, a series of events that just led me into the into the Narcotics Anonymous program, man. And by the grace of God, man, you know, I'm sitting here with 13 years clean, but just not that, 13 years of clean living experience. You see what I'm saying? That's the recovery process, and I'm grateful for that. 
JP, do you remember anything that the guy shared, like the yeah. message that he brought to you? Nah, I can look, man. I'm look. That process was so orchestrated by the God of my understanding because this how it happened though. This last sentence I was facing, uh, like 15, 20 years. I caught a new charge on my 10-year probation. And so they wanted to add like five, two to five years on. So they made like a 15. I ended up getting two and it turned into to a 12. Okay, what happened was I thought I was going to the penitentiary because I'm a drug dealer. And so in the system, they don't look at me as a using addict. So some of the resources that using addicts get, they deny me because they see I'm as profiting off of the uh, off of the using thing. They see me as a, a, a drug dealer. Anyways, my lawyer came in there because I violated. And he said, man, I'm going to try to get you sent to this long-term treatment facility. And I don't know shit about this shit because I do time. You see what I'm saying? I ain't never had no treatment facility out of the Went to the, the NA uh, meeting, seen the dude to share, came back, got my sentence. They ended up sending me to the treatment facility. Guess who the first person I saw when I got out there? The dude that did H&I. You see <laughs> Yeah. And that's how I said it was a divine orchestration because God had parted that seed on me, which made me crave Narcotics Anonymous. And then I have to see that I'm on the right path because it's hard for you to see uh, faith when you introduce to it. You see what I'm saying? Because you're so used to having tangible evidence. Well, he was my tangible evidence. When I walked in there, his ass was in there. I said, okay, that's where I'm supposed to be. You see what I'm saying? And he ended up being my counselor. He ended up being the counselor I had to uh, have an exit strategy with. I had to work my fourth step with my sponsor and we had to go over with him in front of all this stuff to get out so I can start to reintegrate back into society. That was my moment of that I'm walking in the right path and that I'm on the path God wanted me to lead me with this Narcotics Anonymous shit. And they force feed me Narcotics Anonymous in there, but just because they force feed it don't mean you're going to transfer it when you get up out of the treatment facility. And that's the hard part about being an inmate is that inmates have real encounters in there with whatever spirituality factor that they're introduced to, but we don't know how to transfer it out and integrate back into society with it. And by the grace of God, I was hungry enough that I started practicing what I practiced in there. I started practicing strict disciplines, like being careful who I let influence my mind because I'm easily influenced like we all are. And some that caused me to lose a lot of people that, I normally relate to on the uh, on the active addiction level and how we have conversation that's you know distracting us from what we're here for, and I, I really like buckled down and got this because I was scared to go back out the same way I came in. Though, kind of walk us through what the early years, six months to a year. What did what did that process look like, and and how big of a change was that compared to the way that you'd lived your life? Oh, it's, it's what I'm telling you. By the time I got through with the treatment facility, like the whole thing, but I had six years clean. You see what I'm saying? Mm, Most okay. of my clean time, because I'm hard-headed. You see what I'm saying? God know how hard-headed and easily distracted I get, so I had to be force-fed for a long time because I'm good at being a good human being when I'm behind the walls. I struggle when I get out. So by the time I start actually living the program, uh, fully without the structure or the enforcement, the law enforcement aspect of it, bro. I had almost six years clean. But uh, when I transferred to the halfway house, you know what I'm saying? I went to the halfway house, and what happened was I had to 
start applying the principles in real time, man. I struggle. I struggle like hell because, like, bro, I'm almost 30 years old or whatever age I was at that time. But I never, like, really lived in society, though. I don't know how to deal with people, man. I lost my first job because I had no coping mechanism when change came. And I lost a, a person that gave me my first job, giving me the, uh, the freedom. He taught me how to work. But I got so used to him when he left and I shipped to another manager, bro. I ain't know how to respond. I had no coping skills. And so guess what happened? My old man started to come back in. My nasty attitude, my bitterness, resentment set in, and then my attitude changed. And guess what happened? Man, I lost the damn job. They got me the hell up out of there because they're not going to let me intimidate their manager because I don't know how to change. And so I had some problems coming out because I still – was had the knowledge of the program in my head, but I didn't have the living experience with the spiritual principles. Man, it came over time. The perfect thing I didn't do, I didn't use. And every time you don't use, eventually what's in your head will translate in alignment spiritually so you can have a better coping mechanisms with difficult situations. You see what I'm saying? And I got better with it over time, but hell no, nah, I was angry as hell like we all is when we first came here living, uh, trying to Live this shit that I know in my head is right, but my still got my old old ways or old mindset that's influencing my behaviors as well, too. That's what that's what healing looked like. So do you remember the point where that anger kind of switched from anger to gratitude, being grateful that to find the gratitude in the situation that you was in, even though, like you said, you know, I was force fed all this stuff. Did it ever was there ever a point while you were still in that program? That you were like, I'm glad that I'm here. This is saving my life. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a, a moment at time, and the experience that I remember with it is when we had this thing called tune up, and what tune up was the the community getting out of order, and so they shut us down. They take our privileges away. We can't get no packages. We can't go home and get no visit. We can't do nothing but go to meetings and go back to sleep, eat, and, and do our job around there. And what happened was everybody was in a jumpsuit. These old ugly-ass jumpsuits they put us in, black and white Barney Fife-looking-ass jumpsuits, you feel? <laughs> and for some reason, because, like, I don't know how I always get in the situation everybody else wish they could get into. It's just something about, that's why I said I got a favor on my life, not braggingly but like I know it and I take it for granted and so like I had the easiest job in there motherfucker excuse me like had the easiest job in there and all I had to do was answer the phones and work the front desk can't know anybody do that because you got to deal with the uh, with the public you see what I'm saying yeah and so uh but every, everybody coming to eat why well, I sit there you see everybody walking in there everybody walking in the jumpsuit I'm like man what the hell going on you feel Everybody come back at flock. And when you see people in jumpsuit, they mean they might go back to jail or anything. You see what I'm saying? So, look, I was the only person in the community that probably out of uh, almost 200 inmates that they had no jumpsuit on. So the counselors came to me. They said, hey, man, we finna make you the senior coordinator. Senior coordinator has position over there. And like, I didn't want this. <laughs> you feel? Because I know we're coming. It's a leadership role. You see what I'm saying? And uh, when you're a leader, you got to set the example. So guess what I did? I snitched on myself. I got myself in the jumpsuit so I ain't have to do it. You feel? Yeah. So they laughed at me. 
So I was in the jumpsuit for about two weeks later. Guess what? They came back and said, you still finna be the coordinator. But that coordinator position taught me something about my leadership role and how I can lead people and have a faith that can shift or influence the community in the right direction. So it kind of grow me up in a way that I wouldn't have grown up had not I got the position. You see what I'm saying? Because I had to be a better example, but I also had to do things that I like to do, which was like these pull-up. We had a pull-up system. And I had to like pull up people, get them in trouble, you see what I'm saying, to help their behavior. But what ended up happening, it restructuralized the environment. So we were doing so good, the council stopped. We were high shit because the community was running so smooth. <laughs> but it, you're, you're, you're going to always have a reflection of your leadership. I told you when I got there, I knew I was supposed to be there. You see what I'm saying? I knew, I kind of knew it was my turn. So when they gave me a turn of leadership, my, personality kind of integrated back into the uh, community and we all kind of reset ourselves and got back on track. It wasn't just me. It was God using our, my leadership to influence all of us that we can make a shift. So yeah, they were like, it's going too good. It was going too good. So uh, that's when I had that moment of clarity like, I can do this type of thing. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. This is my turn. I just It was a shift. So Anyways, hope it answered your question. Give me a rundown of what it was like when you leave that program and you enter out into the real world. You don't have to do the things that you've been required to do. And you said, you talked about it before. You said, you know, for the first time I started doing what I was doing on the inside, on the outside. What was that like and what were some of the struggles with it? It was, uh, I was running out healthy fears. It's such thing that we learned in this program called healthy fear. And what happened was before we get to make a full decision of being totally free or going back to our safe havens of what we believe we'll be able to operate in, we got to go to the halfway house for a little bit. They don't just send you straight back out. You got to go to the halfway house. Okay, well, my buddies, my homeboys that came up out of there with me, they was savages out there. You hear? They were savage. I said, boy, I, some of the shit they were doing, I was scared for them. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And so, man, I'm like, I love them, but I, this is a, it was another turning point in my life. Like, I'm going to have to make a decision. What happened was, it scared me so much. I lived in narcotics knowledge. You see what I'm saying? Mm. Because this, I know how appealing and how easy for it is for my mind to slip into that shit. So I started living. So me, the, me living in there gave me a detachment from them while I wasn't spending that much time with them. We already had jobs and shit and family. So um, I was really getting involved in my home group, the, the group in Madison, the whole group I was telling you about. Like, bro, I was living in that thing. They want a day you can miss me in there. You see what I'm saying? And actually serving it in a capacity out of my fear. Because my fear is what made my faith. So what happened was I was making the same decisions I was making in the treatment facility. I was making them in the halfway house. It was the motive behind it. I was scared that I was going to get caught up in some of that, some of them scandals that they do trying to be loyal because that's one of my defects. I'm loyal to a fault and I'm loyal to the wrong causes. I'll let the expense of myself. And so like that, uh, they weren't trying to recover. And, you know, any bad apple is going to eventually ride itself away. You don't got to worry about how it's going to ride itself away. The mindset 
and the motives and the attitude of the bad attitudes going to end up, end up giving you consequences that you don't want. So long as I stay centered in the foundation that I had and I increase my recovery, however that look, that means I'm talking to my sponsors, I'm being super honest about what's driving me, what's scaring me, what my thoughts is, letting him broaden my perspective. I was in the meetings every day. I was serving. You know what I'm saying? I'm in that loving on newcomers. I'm in that being a newcomer. You know what I'm saying? Even though I had a lot of clean time, I didn't have a lot of clean living experiences outside of that. Man, I was. Man, I basically lived in that motherfucker more than I lived in the halfway house. And so that structure imparted a, a deep passion about this program, almost like when the desires lift you. You can't really put your finger on when the desires lift you. You just kind of look up and it's down. And that's how my passion was. I was serving it so much. I didn't realize I had a real inferno burning inside of me for this program. And then they say, you know, this is how I knew I was ready. About a month into this shit, I was doing so good. I told you I got a fave on. I was doing so good. They can't see my sneak ass because I'm sneaking. But I'm still doing good. They said, man, 30 days, they said, man, you doing, go ahead and go. You, you got a place that you want to go to that's outside of the. The uh the uh the halfway house that you like to go to because I was doing the right thing. You know what I'm saying? Guess what I said? Man, hell no, nah, I ain't finna go nowhere. <laughs> I so I could have been up out of the halfway house and third day, I stayed in that motherfucker for like 13, 14 months. You hear? Because I was dead scared of myself. So I did all things I didn't want to do. You see what I'm saying? That's what ended up giving me the freedom now. And I still kind of much pretty much do that today. So JP, what does living the program look like to you today? In this season of life, man, because, um, you know, we go through evolutions in this program, you know what I'm saying? My desire to get better ain't just based off not using no more. It's a desire to live in the highest potential of myself that I can. Majority of that comes through sponsorship. <laughs> and one of the things I struggle with today is allow my sponsor to sponsor me. You feel me? And the reason why I say that is because when you stay around here a long time, you have so much clean living experience, not getting high over it, that you accumulate a uh, reservoir of wisdom, so to say. You have coping mechanisms that are um, influenced by your, uh, your choices and recovery that you had healthy consequences for some of the things you survived. And I have to humble myself because my wisdom sometimes makes me, it can make me like arrogant, like I know too damn much. You see mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, God, I had to put a situation in my life that humbles me and I don't have no experience from to kind of put down what I know and have somebody else leave me. And what I'm struggling at today is because financially I'm not where I want to be. You see what I'm saying? And I don't have no strategy. I don't know what I'm good at. You see what I'm saying? Uh, on the spiritual level, I kind of see, uh, see, see a little bit further past my nose. But in a natural sense, I struggle just with natural things. I'm, I'm weak at. I have to have people hold my hand to tell me, "Hey, man, you're good at this. Won't you try this? Won't you try this?" Because I don't know how to see myself. You see what I'm saying? So my thing is always about not plotting or priding myself on my strengths today because that's what we you know what what can happen is I like to look at what I'm strong at but I like to stay connected to the humility and my weaknesses and my weaknesses is giving me the ability 
to like be there in a mindset of the sponsees that I got. That's why I said through sponsorship. And I'm learning how to be sponsored by humbling myself up under my sponsor in this stage of life. And what's in return is not letting my 13 years make me uncompassionate for the sufferings of my people that are behind me. You see what I'm saying? Because sometimes mm -hmm. you can get too far up ahead that you can't remember what it's like in process. Like you just didn't become JP today without the process of the mistakes and the messes that you made to create the wisdom today. And I had to remember that I got to allow my sponsees to make the same fucking mistakes that I made or their own mistakes. That doesn't mean that the mistake doesn't mean they're not in process. The very fact that they're making mistakes makes me uh, makes them be in process. So kind of controlling the knowledge where it ain't so self-righteous. You see what I'm saying? Because yeah. I don't want to rock people away, man. And I, I sponsor people early in my recovery in my anger and it ran them away. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So that's uh, just trying to give you two points of what I meant because I don't like to just, I can't give you everything because I be, would be here for 3,000 hours. But I wanted you to see why I struggle in. You see what I'm saying? And also why I'm kind of comfortable in myself with and still trying to uh, elevate and my sponsorship too, and my understand being understanding with people that are behind me. You feel? Yeah, absolutely. So, with those um, sponsees, man, isn't it crazy how you can identify areas that you need to work on yourself, or where you need to apply some of that humility through the through the work that they're putting in, and it just kind of like hits you in the face, and you're like, "Damn, man." Dude's got like eight months clean and he's hitting me right between the eyes right now. Man, bro, that's that's the two-way street of sponsorship, man. Uh is is that the sponsee sometimes bring you back to some of the small troops. You see what I'm saying? I was in a meeting the other day in a Zoom me. Somebody, uh, you know, they had about nine, nine months to a year, but they said something so simple, but it was so profound. They said, man, I'm just grateful that I don't have the strong urges to use like I used to. And I forgot how that used to be. It used to be a time where I couldn't deny using. I was so powerless over that I just had to give in to. It takes a, somebody that's that close to using to bring back the perspective because the quality of life changes. And I start worrying about a lot of stuff that I ain't got to yet and start pissing on everything I do get. To bring it back down to that form, man, kind of, I felt I feel real bad. You know what I'm saying? Because I started looking at my problems like, bro, look at what he crying about. And you up here crying about shit that people that sit up here kill to get in your position to be. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And that's how I stay in the uh, gratitude and the humility of the program is through sponsorship and not just, you know, because some of my sponsors got clean time, but like, bro, I go into these meetings Thank God for Zoom today because you get to meet all manifestations of the recovering addict in a well deep, in a deep way. To hear some of the stuff that these newcomers are saying today in this time of using, I don't think I would have made it. <laughs> I just don't think I would have made it, bro. So, like, man, I'm glad that God had an orchestrated time to, pill, to pluck me up out of the horrors of the addiction because he knew. I wouldn't have survived just like he knew when to let me be born. I might want to survive some of the stuff ancestors and them went through, bro, because I'm hard headed and stubborn. 
You see what I'm saying? So God mm-hmm. said, look, I let his dumb ass be born in 1984 because, you know, we're getting over some stuff. Then, you know, I can set up his life because he's going to go through some stuff and I'm going to pick him up out of this, this addictive state and let him start recovering right here so he don't set up it up in the uh, federal penitentiary like his friend did for 40 years. If you had... If you had something you had to say to the newcomer, man, or somebody that's out there still struggling, um, what does that look like? Or when you're in a meeting and a guy comes up to you and he's like, man, I heard you share. I don't know what to do. It's so much you want to say to him, but you don't want to complicate it. But if I had to pick my, 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 my thing to the struggling new, uh, newcomer is always, I don't say a damn thing. I just listen. That's mm-hmm. what I do. I'm learning to listen because you got to remember, man, sometimes you want somebody to get clean so bad that you give them too much information that they ain't ready to embody. You see what I'm saying? So I've learned that with a newcomer in that capacity, because we, we're telling them information that they want to do, but we don't know where they at in their process of getting so I've learned to let them vent. And if I can let them dump on me or throw up on me and they give them a day clean, that's what I've been learning to do. Shut the fuck up and just listen to people. You see what I'm saying? Because I don't, especially that early in the stages in, in recovery, a lot of this shit don't make sense. And they have the feeling of what they heard you say. But I, if you heard me say something, then whatever I said is imparted itself on your spirit. But now I need to listen to you. You see what I'm saying? And that's what I've been learning to do is listen to people and try to allow God to help me see where to help them. Because I don't always know what to do. That's why we say the surrender prayer. I say this to shut up. God grant me the surrender to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference just for the day. The first word your ass said was God. Because obviously, even I got all this information and on any given day, I still don't know how to use what I know what I use. I need his his direction to help me learn how to use. And with a newcomer in that capacity, I don't know where the fuck they are. We ain't build no relationship. So I gotta take time for me to get to understand who I'm dealing with. So, so I, I learn to listen a lot more than I speak. Man, so. I love how you say we should listen, you know, because you know, we wanna like you said, we wanna just overwhelm the newcomer with Man, just come to 90 meetings in 90 days, get a sponsor, start getting involved in service. And sometimes they ain't ready to hear all that. Yeah. You know, they may only be willing to do one thing. And if we don't open our ears and listen, we miss out on that opportunity to give them the experience where they're willing, not where we're wanting them to go, but where they're willing to do. Then we can share our experience with whatever that is, you know, whether it's like, hey, I'll come to some meetings. And then expanding through that. If I'm just shoving all this down their throat, it can be overwhelming, you know? So mm-hmm. that's a great point. Mm-hmm. Man, I've really appreciated you being on here. Um, mm-hmm. So is there anything going on in your home group or any NA-related announcements in your area you'd like to share? Okay. Just look up uh, uh, Greater Nashville area and my service board should have some things listed on the uh, on the worst, on the, on the uh, NA board. Uh, but in my home group, actually, we don't. We just got. A, I got a sponsee brother, Elliot K, who was about to celebrate four years next Friday, and that's what we got as in line right now. JP, we've sure enjoyed having you on the show, man. 
Thank you for joining us on our Living Clean Podcast. This is another platform that we can share our message of recovery, which is an addict, any addict, can stop using drugs, lose a desire to use, and find a new way to live. Join that no matter what club. You can contact us through text. The number is 931-306-9364.